Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. In this show, I will be interviewing producer Eric Henry. We will be talking about his new independent film, Pacific 201. Hold on while Eric joins the show. Eric, you there, man? Yeah. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the show. How's it going with you today? I'm pretty good. How about you? Doing pretty good. That's excellent, man. That's great stuff. I was researching your film, man. It's incredible. I want to get started here. Uh, for the listeners, um, just going to introduce you here right quick. You're Eric Henry. And you're a man of many talents, it seems, and you're working on a super cool new film called Pacific 201. Uh, for everybody, just can you like go over like what Pacific 201 is about, like kind of how you came up with the idea of creating such a film like that? Well, um, you know, Pacific 201 is a Star Trek film that's kind of about <clears throat> the formation of that that positive, uh, collaborative co-cooperation kind of feature that we see in, in Star Trek. And uh, the idea the idea kind of came um, to me about two years ago when I was, I was kind of starting to get into the fan film world with Star Trek. And what I was seeing was a lot of kind of imitation and a lot of treading, like stories that always covered the same ground and didn't really... They were fun, and I, I enjoyed watching them, but they didn't really communicate what I felt that Star Trek was all about, which was um, kind of making people excited about the future and, and wanting to be a part of, of a better of a better world. Right. Totally. I understand what you're saying, man. Now, you, your film, I was researching, is set in between Enterprise and the, uh, the original series. What exactly made you want to set it in that era rather than, like, the other Next Generation-esque type series or whatever? Well, firstly, uh, that era is totally unburdened by canon. There, there's mm-hmm. no Star Trek that takes place in that era. There's Enterprise era, there's TOS, but it's this totally empty climate to explore, and I felt like that gave me a lot of storytelling flexibility. Very interesting. And I noticed your film also involves and mentions the uh, the Romulan War and uh, as fans might remember, like the original TOS episode, Balance of Terror, where they were first introduced, how are you going about, like, presenting not only the Romulans in Pacific, but, like, are there any changes being made to their presentation or any other stuff like that, their ships even? Well, the the Romulans, as we see them, I mean, there there is a little bit of new design going to them just because of the era, but we do kind mm-hmm. of accept more the... TOS representation of Romulans, this kind of more noble, more elite kind of Romanesque as they were originally, rather than the TNG Romulans who are more like conniving, cliche villains that <laughs> kind of are come across as like a racist stereotype of some sort. So the Romulans are much more uh, noble and cultured in Pacific 201. So you kind of you took more of the original motif and didn't really use too much. Like you said, you kept it more like the original back in the 60s. Very cool, very cool. Well, I noticed you mentioned uh, online on some of your videos having actually toured actual naval vessels and, I believe, a national shuttle. Just curious, while you were doing research for the film, like, could you tell everybody first off about that 
and then some of the things you like learned while you were doing research in that that area for the film exactly tours and stuff and actually looking at real you know the space shuttle on ships and stuff like that was important because a big push of pacific 201 is to make it feel like uh real life like all the locales mm-hmm. are actually real places rather than you know a fictional representation of something that'll never happen so you know we for instance we toured the battleship new jersey which is uh docked in the delaware river and when you're actually in kind of a you know a cramped space with pipes and stuff exposed you you know you you get a feeling for what a future starship might feel like you know it's all kind of mm. cold and it's cramped and then you start to realize how much of the original series is actually the the look of the original series is actually based off battleships like the sets kind right. of look deep to us but when you're actually on a battleship I felt like I was on original series sets sometimes. Like, they, they really do kind of look like that. And there are some things that are reinterpreted. Like, in the original series, we have these red intercom panels on the wall, whereas in a battleship, you have red telephones on the wall. Like, it was something that's that felt very grounded to me. So that kind of stuff is now very important to the look of Pacific 201. It, it wasn't just an arbitrary decision in the original series to make those panels red, represent the red telephones on, on a battleship, or the green paint in sickbay in the original series is almost exactly the same shade of green on old battleships. Like, those things are very firmly connected to that. Wow, I didn't even think about the green in the, uh, the sickbay. That's, that's true. Well, you, you're, your movie's striving for realism, it seems like, and it also, you know, I like that, that way you're going, by the way, about the naval way. That's pretty darn cool. Um, everything looks like you're going like in the space for realism, looking like it, it looks really good, by the way, in the uh, the space scenes. Um, who's responsible for designing like the look of not just the ships, but like the CGI and bringing all that out in the sense of the realism factor there? Currently, all the CGI has been me personally. Um, oh wow! Because I don't I don't have uh, a, a full team. Um, uh, selected though we do now, we have now welcomed. I can't pronounce his name, like Alain Riverd, Riverd. Um, I think it's like a French name. <laughs> but um, <Sounds> he worked <laughs> on he worked on the reboot Battlestar Galactica, and he also worked on Star Trek Enterprise as a 3D modeler. He's now helping us out with uh, some of our um, ship models. He's uh, doing our shuttlecraft right now, so that's really exciting. Okay, very cool, very cool. And I noticed, yeah, I noticed you did the uh, the shuttle or pod or whatever, like in the, one of the trailers that was dropping. Said those what you call it the uh, the drop uh, like shuttle bays. I, and I noticed you were talking about the Daedalus class ship, and you made some minor modifications, like a sensor dish, which I thought was really cool to do that. Um, are any of the other ships, like the NX01, going to be modified at all? I know they had up technology on that as time progressed or any other stuff we might see in the ship range there? The the NX class has been slightly redesigned for Pacific 201. Mm-hmm. And that's that can be explained as the fact that Pacific 201 takes place, you know, half a century later, so the ships aren't going to look identical to how they looked. You know, real naval right. vessels get uh, refit and stuff like that. The, the thing about the NX class is it doesn't get nearly as much screen time as even the Daedalus class, which doesn't get that much screen time to begin with. But we have done, I think, a pretty cool redesign of the NX class that pushes it more towards 
the original series aesthetic. Some of the lines are straightened. Some of the details are kind of uh, combined, so it's not so junky and greebly. It, it's kind of a, a sleeker, more slightly more sixties esque uh, aesthetic. Very cool. Are you gonna have like phasers, or I guess you would have phasers and shields by that era due to the uh, up, upgrades in technology, right? Yeah, um, we're, we're imagining that shields are still kind of like a limited technology. So when they say raise shields, they don't mean there's a bubble around the entire ship. There's more like critical areas that get shielded. And um, oh, cool. oh, go ahead. I was saying, oh, cool. Oh, okay. Well, there's actually going to be, well, they're, they're actually currently on the ship. There are details on the ship that are meant to be shield emitters <clears throat> and stuff like that, which we will probably publish more information later about the ship because there are so many little tiny details on the Pacific that would go unnoticed otherwise, such as shield emitters and stuff like that. But we imagine there's a pretty uh, healthy balance between polarized hull plating from Enterprise and then minimal shielding, you know, a, a blend of the two. Right, right. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I noticed, like, when the ship flies by, you, I just, from my perspective, you can see a little bit more detail, and it does look mm. way realistic compared to a lot of the other, personal preference, a lot of the other films. They, some of them look a little bit more real, but then some of them look more kind of, you know, I'm talking about, like, not as realistic CGI-wise as other stuff. Um, but yours looks fantastic. I just, it looks really close to some of the... Uh, like I noticed that one scene when you're uh, going through the clouds or something like that, it had that almost like it, it looked better in some, believe it or not, than the JJ. Uh, the JJ film, the first film was pretty good. I just thought this looked a little bit more real, you know, more like a National Space Shuttle or something to look in the space. Now, so are you utilizing like physical sets for filming? And then you had a starship starship bridge. Um, first question is, uh, well, what kind of sets can we expect to see in the film, being, uh, including the bridge? And uh, what differences might there be compared to that bridge from, like, the NX or the original series bridge? And, and what other stuff can we see in the set, set range there? Well, uh, yeah, we'll see the bridge, obviously. And um, we'll probably see main engineering. Uh, we'll see... Mm -hmm. uh, the captain's ready room, um, you know, pretty much typically the kind of sets we see in Star Trek. Um, mm. uh, basically, what we're going to be doing is building a set number of modular set pieces that we can rearrange into more sets. So we can actually okay. have an unlimited number of sets because uh, we can mix and match parts and repaint parts, and then suddenly we have sick bay or something like that. But um, right. as far as stylistically speaking, we're going, we're very much grounding the look, kind of a blend between like late 60s, early 70s NASA, NASA mission control and then like a naval destroyer. So the, the actual shape of the consoles are very reminiscent of uh, NASA mission control from like the late 60s, early 70s. Like if you watch uh, Apollo 13, those kind mm -hmm. of consoles are what, what we're going for on the bridge. But the actual uh, functionality and, and uh, some, some other details are very grounded in like naval destroyers. And the, the color paint we're mm -hmm. going to be using on the bridge is actually derived from Norwegian uh, naval vessels. Like it's a particular shade of blue that's supposed to it's kind of a modern mil, uh, kind of modern navy look but it, the fact that it's 
painted is kind of retro feeling, so we kind of get the best of both worlds. Wow, that's amazing. That's retro to the gills. There, it sounds like like you said, going back to the Apollo thirteen, like kind of that that more like not so touch screen and stuff, more like knobs and switches and things like that, right? Absolutely. Very cool, very cool. Well, let's talk props. And then besides the sets, I noticed that your look of your uniform is a bit different than the ones we've seen before and other things. And things like the phasers, communicators, stuff like that, a little different. Uh, would you say the inspiration for the look is more off like, I don't know you're kind of going for realism, but more like the Prime Universe or JJ Universe or hybrid or your own take? How would you say you got the like the inspiration for some of the look and feel of the, the props and the uniforms and stuff like that? The 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 look and the feel of the props and stuff is is more like looking at the original the original mm-hmm. series through a, a lens of tempered realism. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the importance of making things canonical, keeping designs consistent. But in many ways, the original series, you know, it was how the future was envisioned 50 years ago. So when I'm looking at a phaser, it kind of looks like a toy. Like it doesn't look like something that could kill me, um, for instance. So <laughs> right. when, we designed, when we designed the phasers, we thought, well, how can we blend the iconic elements of a phaser with a real-world firearm? So that when you look at it, you know this thing means business. So that's why our phaser looks much more like a firearm rather than like a toy or a television remote like in the next generation. Or even the phase pistols in, in Enterprise, they were literally using the phase pistol toy on, on screen in Season 4. Stuff like that. That's like, right. It doesn't... The face pistol doesn't really look like a weapon to me either. It's kind of, it looks like plastic. It looks like a science fiction show prop rather than something that that's actually you know meant uh, to be a weapon. So like that's how we we approach the design of the phaser and 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 uh, some of the other props. Very cool, very cool. And is, are you designing the look of the uh, the prop? I know the communicator looked a little different, well more than a little different. The control, more control features and. Just looked a little bit more uh, detailed than some of the other uh, versions throughout the films and the original series. Are you designing those, or you have somebody else designing the, all the features and the, the look of those, or how's that going about exactly? Just curious. Currently, I've been designing the props, though we don't have a final version of any prop other than the phaser, um, okay. which I did collaborate on with another artist, Noah Summers, who actually built the 3D model from which we printed the phaser prop. It's a 3D printed prop. Oh. Well. Very cool. And the communicator um, looks fantastic, by the way, and the phaser as well. Should we expect to see, just curious, I'm sure a lot of people are curious about this. I know a lot of these other fan films, they go and they recruit older actors and people and veterans from different films. Is there anybody in particular from any other Star Trek shows or any other shows in general from the sci-fi world uh, that you might want to have to take part in the film? Or are you going to go more towards just not being distracted or anything? By, or how are you going to go about that? Just curious. Yeah, normally, normally what I tell people is that I think putting in current Trek actors, <clears throat> or I mean previous mm-hmm. Trek actors, is kind of a distraction or like a gimmick. Um, there's really no right. place for it in Pacific 201, except for it'd be really nice to get Scott Bakula to play Archer. <laughs> he could he could fit very easily into uh, part of the film as like an 80-year-old Archer. Right. So that would be... 
difficult to secure. Um, he's, um, I'm, I'm told that he's hard to get a hold of. But um, other than that, we don't really have our sights set on any uh, Trek actors, though. You know, you never know what the future holds. We do have um, uh, some connections with Axanar, and we might be able to um, work something out. But entirely speculation. I'm not making any announcements. I got you. Um, you mentioned Axanar. That's another really cool film out there. Um, you, I believe I read you were working on that a little bit. Can you tell everybody just a little brief and summary what what you're doing on that and a little just a little bit about that right quick? Yeah, I've actually been with Axanar for almost two years now. Actually, maybe more than two years. Um, I'm one of the concept artists working on Axanar. I designed the bridge. Um, I'm also working on some other sets and some other props as well. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I noticed they have uh, Studios Aries based on I mean, the same name as the, the ship. Are you, You're not just curious. Are you not utilizing... And you just said you designed the bridge for the uh, uh, Axanar production. Are you utilizing any of those sets, perhaps, for Pacific 201? And if so, are you making any heavily or any kind of modifications to those specifically for your film? Uh, the thought has crossed my mind. The The problem being Pacific 201 is located on the East Coast and Axanar is located in L.A. There's a lot right. of logistical problems with, with travel, Um we don't really have – we do have a small unit production, uh, part of the production, where there's only a few scenes that are filmed on uh, another Federation ship um, where we might be able to actually travel out somewhere and shoot. We also have another scene that takes place with Romulans that we can, might travel somewhere else to shoot, though they're not going to have that kind of set available to us. So, I mean, it's possible, but it's not really feasible. Yeah, it was interesting to see. I was curious I asked that question. Now, your film, Beyond Striving for Realism, like like you were mentioning, it presents more of like a real true feel to the original vision of Star Trek, like a vision of the future for everybody. And just curious, in your own words, what message like would you like the viewer first off to take from watching Pacific 201 as a whole? And then like what does Star Trek's vision of the future and just in general mean to you personally? Well, I guess a big part of the Pacific 201 message is that the exploration of space is worth it. There's something meaningful and there's something important to us out there. Um, as uh, Carl Sagan said, the very survival of the human race rests upon our ability to, you know, explore the stars. So that's uh, not a direct quote, it's paraphrasing, but that's part of, that's part of a major push behind Pacific 201. And I feel like beyond the nitty-gritty specifics of Star Trek, it's about being excited for the future, that the future holds something good for us. It's not, you know, the annihilation of mankind. We're not going to kill ourselves. We're not going to destroy our planet. We're not going to nuke each other out of existence. Like, all of these things combine. It's just, Star Trek says the future is something good for us. And I feel like that's a big part of Pacific 201 as well. Right. right. Well, I agree with you on that, man. I totally agree. And I love the way and the approach you're going with your film, which is freaking fantastic, so to paraphrase there. Well, um, we're coming to the end of the show. Right quick, before we end, uh, do you have any, like, website links or other information you'd like to update people or give out 
find out more about the film and various projects? And also, are you having any upcoming other things beyond action or other stuff you're involved that you like to shout out about? Well, um, I would just tell anybody to go to Pacific201.com. There's links to our Kickstarter. There's links to our YouTube channel. There's links to our Facebook page. It's all there, all the information you'll need. I'm not going to spoil anything. Nice. So oh, great. I got you, man. That's it. Cool, man. Well, I, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. That was, that was an awesome blast, and I look forward to seeing your film, man. Thank you. You're most welcome, man. You have a good day, buddy. You too.